0: From Equality, Arizona, you're listening to the Arizona Equals Conversation, a podcast about Arizona's LGBTQ plus communities sharing queer stories through conversation. I'm Jean Woodbury, and today I'm talking with my friend Celia from AZ Trans Together, a social group that meets regularly at Brick Road Coffee in Tempe. The whole group at AZ Trans Together has been incredible partners for us at Equality Arizona as we've been building up our volunteer teams and our community programming. One of the big things I want to learn from my guests is how queer community grows and evolves over time in Arizona. And something I was really interested to hear from Celia is not only the way AZ Trans Together is being managed as something that's really intentionally trying not to be an organization, Not to be a social service provider, but really just to be a space for people to come together. But also how it carries on the legacy of a similar trans coffee social that I was involved in years ago. AZ Trans Together doesn't really have a leadership structure. They're a social group. And while Celia is a really active participant, it's not the only thing she was here to talk about. And looking back on this conversation, I really see it as a perfect illustration of what this podcast is about, how we exist in multiple communities, how those communities overlap and intersect, how we change them, and how they change us. I loved this conversation, and I hope that you'll love it too. So let's just roll the tape. Celia, thanks for sitting down with me today. Something I normally forget to do is ask people to introduce themselves. So could you say a little bit about um, just, you know, what's your name? What's your pronouns? (laughs) Of
1: course. Okay. Okay. My name is Celia Wager. My pronouns are she, her... Uh, I do a lot of different stuff. Um, I work as an enterprise software engineer. I uh, write a blog uh, at CritPoints.net about video game design and like game design in general, but mostly video games. Oh, cool!
0: I, I yeah. didn't know about your blog. <laughs> yeah, <Cool. laughs> I gotta plug my blog. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll link to it. Uh,
1: wonderful. Uh, let's see. I went to the School of Visual Arts in Manhattan for an animation degree. I uh, what else? I am currently uh, one of the organizers, or I guess founders, really, of uh, Trans Take- Trans Together.
0: <laughs> yes. Formerly to Trans Takeover. Yeah.
1: yeah, we renamed it because uh, we wanted to be a bit more palatable in yeah. general, and because like it was kind of an inside joke at first. Yeah, and we were like, oh, okay, that doesn't really pan out for like the larger group because like, yeah. yeah, we're not taking over anything. We're just having fun together.
0: Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, the Trans Together thing is how we met. Correct. Uh, Kind of. Well, I mean... We have some mutual contacts and everything. But, like, recently, that's where we really started spending time together.
1: Yeah, that's how we got connected. But yeah, uh, we had to sit down dinner once.
0: Yeah, we did. uh, About a year ago. Yeah. Uh, But trans together formerly yeah. trans takeover is where it was like okay we've got things we're working on now oh yeah and th- that was really cool for me um this is this is something that's mostly located in like tempe right correct yes we
1: operate uh currently operate out of uh brick road coffee which yeah. is like a uh, a queer coffee shop yeah, uh, run by like uh, two gay men owned by two gay men. Yeah. And uh, it's very much themed around kind of uh, Wizard of Oz. You know, the, there's the old saying friend yeah. of Dorothy and that sort of stuff.
0: It's it's really fun branding. And for me, it's really cool because I grew up right in that area. And to find this like whole pocket of queer community. Oh, yeah. In Tempe is like really special. Um, especially when I found like what, what your group was doing. Cause I was like, okay, this is a great coffee shop. There's a lot of great people here. But then it's like, oh, there's like a big group of people oh, who are yeah. building community. here.
1: Oh yeah. We, we did that in almost no time at all. Yeah. So
0: how fast were you, how fast did you spin that up? I mean, it seems like okay. almost instantaneous.
1: Okay. Let's see. So, uh, To say one thing is that this has been a long time coming. I plan to do, like, a coffee social since long before we actually started this. Like, how long ago?
0: uh,
1: At least, like, six months beforehand. Like, I was actually talking to uh, Ian, who uh, ran the previous coffee social that existed in Arizona, about, like, how I should do it, like, a long time before I ended up actually doing it. And I kind of, like, stumbled my way into doing this by accident instead of on purpose, (laughs) even though it was my original plan all along. Yeah. Uh, Another thing that is worth mentioning is that, like, although I did start the Coffee Social, uh, I am not, like, in charge of it, necessarily.
0: Right. You were just, like, a seed
1: to get it going, kind of. Yeah. We want to try and keep our organizational structure as flat as possible and allow anyone who wants to, like, step forward and, like, make contributions, uh, we want to give them the power to do that. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want to, like, have some sort of domineering control over what everyone else does in the group. We want everyone to just hang out and be friends.
0: Yeah, you're not a business, and you're not, like, a social service. You're just setting a place for a bunch of people to come together. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Also, I went to that coffee social, the one that Ian ran. Oh, yeah? um, Years ago, so before the pandemic. (laughs) I
1: wish I could have been there.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was really cool, and it was something that was, like, it felt new because— uh, oh, yeah. I, I think you probably have a similar experience, but exactly. when I started transitioning back in like 2018, I didn't feel like I had a lot of opportunities to find community.
1: Oh gosh, it was even worse for me when I started transitioning. I started transitioning like near the start, exactly at the start of uh, 2020.
0: Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. So it's not even just like, where is the community? It's like, they literally, they literally can't be. Yeah. I was stuff. like,
1: I was like... Okay, I, I 2020, like, not even, like, with regards to the pandemic, but 2020 was a year for me. Mm. So I had been, I found kind of a small, like, pocket of friends, basically, that were all queer, trans, etc., yeah. like, in 2019. And then in 2020, I, like, uh, I messed some things up. I, I, I broke all my friendships with the group. Mm. Like, uh, so all my friends kind of abandoned me. And then I was transitioning by myself in like an apartment. Oh, yeah. I got fired by my job, not for being trans because of other reasons. Like I just got fired incidentally, like oh, near yeah. the start of the, like almost exactly the start of the lockdowns. Oh, And so I was transitioning by myself. I had no friends. I had no job. I was slowly running out of money in this like apartment where I was like alone most of the time. And like my mantra for like that period of time was just like, I I just want to be queer in public. I just want to be
0: queer Uh, in public. (laughs) Like just be able to get to that point where you can be yourself yeah. and exist. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cause like oh I, God, yeah. I had been, I had been like, okay. So I've been like experimenting with like cross dressing and like cosplay stuff. Like
0: oh, yeah. okay. during
1: 2019. Yeah. Uh, my very first cosplay was, uh, what was what it? Terry Bogard from, uh, King of Fighters. Uh, so, like, that's a character who, like, in a spin-off game, they got, like, turned into a girl, and okay. I was like, okay, I'm going to dress up as a girl version of this. So there's, there's like, <laughs> yeah.
0: pre-existing gender transformation in this character. Yes. And then you're taking that on. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's so cool.
1: So I wore that to, like, a major tournament, Combo Breaker 2019. I went out to, like, uh, Chicago, basically, like, a space outside of chicago when you
0: say tournament this is a video game tournament, yeah fighting fighting game tournament yeah
1: i play a lot of fighting games i travel around the country for that i am planning to go back to combo breaker this year i would like to go to some other tournaments this year but that's kind of like uh not planned out well enough yet it kind of depends what's
0: in the cards was that something that felt like a safe space to experiment with gender stuff in that way
1: it's less that it felt like a safe space, and more like I was really determined to do something crazy with my life. Okay, yeah, <laughs> like a daredevil transition. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yes. And I, I, I spent a lot of time before that working up the confidence to do it by, like, mm. doing by doing cross dressing and cosplay in a lot of other places that weren't as public.
0: I see. Yeah, that makes sense. It it does feel like. Having those kind of character reference points, though, from the video games yeah. gives you that opportunity to at least have, like, a connection yeah, point for people. Absolutely. And and that's pretty nice. And you have a long background in visual arts. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and you write this blog. So yeah. how did you get into that in the first place? <laughs> oh, that gosh. feels like kind of a, like a precursor to how you've become who you are today. Uh, that's a very long story. <laughs> so back when I was in
1: college, mm-hmm. I was uh, writing about video games on my own. Like, I had, like, a little, uh like, notepad, basically. Well, not a literal notepad. I used my phone. Oh, yeah. And I used, a, like, a program that stored all my notes for me. Mm-hmm. And I wrote, like, article after article after article on, like, ideas about game design and stuff based on what I thought at the time. Did you publish these? I did not, oh, but... Okay. Then there was like this one website. There was this uh, little, little journalism outfit like forever ago. They're they're dissolved by now, and I'm not going to bring up the name. Oh, okay. okay. But uh, they don't they don't exist in any form whatsoever anymore. Oh, okay. But, uh, that's sad, actually. I think their time
0: passed. Okay, is what I'm yeah. going to say. Like, oh, okay. They
1: definitely like they they their time passed. It's not it's not that important anymore. I feel like uh, I guess that's fair. I yeah. feel like the world of video games kind of moved. Outside of that sort of thing, like they're not, Mm -hmm. it's not as focused on like the blogs and the newspapers and the magazines anymore. That's true. It's a lot more focused on like YouTubers nowadays is what I see. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, Mark Brown of Game Designers Toolkit, that guy is like a big inspiration to me in many ways. He's just really, really competent at his craft and, uh, I would hope I would like to be able to create like a YouTube series like that someday, but, uh, but at not, that yeah.
0: point you felt like publishing blog posts was relevant and yes. did connect to people.
1: Yes, absolutely. And so I got started through them. I like sent them all the things I'd written and they are like, yeah, come on. And so I wrote like a bunch of op-ed stuff for them. I wrote a column for a while about like called more than mashing about like people doing skilled stuff in video games. Like, oh, Hey, this person do this crazy trick, uh, so I did that, all that stuff. I eventually rebooted that as like a uh, as a Facebook page, which is still sitting up there, but I don't I don't publish to it anymore. Mm, yeah. And uh, eventually, the blog kind of, like a uh, the website I used to write for they kind of like went by the wayside. The viewership declined. People lost motivation to write because it was like an all volunteer website. Oh yeah, that's hard. And like. Uh, it kind of, it kind of just fell off. And so I started up my own blog. I started like a little question and answer thing. So I'd like answer people's questions all the time. And I just kept on publishing my answers to stuff. And it built its way up into like a blog with like over 600 posts. Nice. And I've kind of developed my own theory of like game design from all of that.
0: Well, that's a great archive too. Oh yeah, point. absolutely. You said this was in your, when you were in college, yeah, it uh, what, in college. what kind of year was that?
1: That was twenty thirteen okay twenty thirteen I went to college from twenty ten to twenty fourteen and I got into this in twenty thirteen okay uh, i I don't really know what kind of year it was. it was uh
0: well early twenty tens I guess yeah. is really what I was trying to figure out yeah,
1: it was during a time period when like it seemed like the video game industry was kind of at a creative dead end and nothing that cool was coming out, mm. so that's
0: kind of. It's kind of the attitude that went into a lot of my early writing. I feel like there was a lot of transformation on the the web at that point, like towards algorithmic social media and video and stuff like that. Yeah.
1: It was after kind of the age of algorithms had taken over. I mean, YouTube came along in like 2006 or something. Yeah. Facebook sprung up around the same time and then like... I'd say 2013 is after the stuff got really embedded. It kind of Mm -hmm. became a force unto itself instead of just, like, another website on the internet. It kind of became the
0: internet itself, which is what's happened more and more over time. Right. And that can be challenging. I think when you have, like, a blog and there's a bunch of volunteers writing it, that's, like, a community that feels different than, like, well, we all watch this Twitch stream together or something. Yeah, It's a community that feels different than, like, oh, hey, we're, we're all in a Facebook group together. Right. Even than that. Yeah. Um, one of the things about Trans Together is that you have a Discord group, which... Yes, that's been a big part of it. And I think that's, that's like, well, I'm going to, like, it's cool. I was going <laughs> to say it's rad, which makes me not sound cool. But it is cool. I mean, like, that's a kind of internet community that I feel like has more of that kind of, like, old school message board vibe. In a way. It's a bit like IRC,
1: if you remember that.
0: yeah. 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 Uh, it's a lot like IRC
1: and I've always enjoyed online chat rooms and such. I've been in I've used IRC and other ver- in like other various things since since they were <laughs> since they were a big thing. Yeah. Uh I've been I've been in various online chat communities for all sorts of different stuff and so like I think that having that sort of instantaneous communication between a lot of different people is really important. As opposed to, like, Facebook, where I feel like it moves at a slower pace and people can tune out more easily.
0: Yeah, it's more synchronous. Yeah. On something like Discord. Yeah. When you moved to Arizona, well, first off, when did you move to Arizona?
1: I moved to Arizona in 2018.
0: Okay, so moving to Arizona in 2018, did you feel like you were able to find the kind of communities you were looking for right away, or was it difficult? It was difficult. Okay. And what were some of the obstacles for you in terms of finding those communities?
1: Yeah, this is, yeah. Uh, So, big deal. So, I got called out here due to my job. My job, I had uh, just finished, like, a ton of tech education. So, like, I wasn't able to get a job as an animator. Mm. And so, I went back to school for, like, tech stuff. And I went through, like, a whole process for that, which was very involved. But ultimately, I ended up with a job that said, hey, come on down to Phoenix, Arizona.
0: I see. Okay. And they relocated you. I relocated myself. They didn't oh, even okay. pay for it. <laughs> oh, shoot. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the amount that they would have paid, because like, I had to like apply for, for like, the relocation reimbursement, and mm-hmm. the amount they would have paid was pitiful, to be honest. Oh, that's too bad. So that's that. Yeah. But I originally lived in, in Connecticut, which is why I went to the School of Visual Arts in Manhattan.
0: Oh, yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And so they had me move out here to Phoenix, and I've, as I mentioned, I've been involved in fighting game communities, like Smash Bros. community, the Project mm-hmm. M community, uh, various other fighting games, such as like Street Fighter, Guilty Gear, etc., and I heard coming out here that this area had a very strong anime fighting game scene, which unfortunately is like mostly evaporated after uh, COVID, oh, because yeah. like, a lot of those games didn't have very good like online play. So, like, uh, they basically, like, no one wanted to play them anymore until, like, things that came out with good online play came out.
0: And a lot of things that are those small kind of hyper-local or niche communities just evaporated during the pandemic. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the coffee social that Ian was running, yeah. all that kind of stuff, it can't really hold up as well. Yeah. I mean, if, we, if you
1: have, like, something like a Discord that can help keep people together on this site... Yeah. In a way that, like, you... Even if people can't meet physically, you you still have this, like, this online chat community that works like that. Yeah. And that can be a lot of fun if you have that, but we didn't have that. Yeah. Like, there wasn't exactly an... There is an Arizona Discord from, like, Reddit or whatever, but it's not, like, a queer Discord.
0: Right. It's, like, a little too generic.
1: Yeah, it's a little too yeah. generic. So, uh like, coming here, I... Became, like, a part of, like, the local Smash and fighting game communities, and uh, that was a thing, but I found that, like, the fighting game community, at least, was very cliquish. Like, Mm. they had kind of an in-group and an out-group, and they did not treat me very, like, they didn't give me a very warm reception, and I I rubbed them kind of the wrong way with my, like, weird, my little idiosyncrasies and stuff. Mm. And eventually, like, uh, at the end of 2018, I had kind of, like, a spiral where I felt really alone and yeah. I felt like I had no one around me, and I uh, basically had, like, an epiphany moment where I was like, okay, I need to make more friends. If I just make more friends, uh, some yeah. of those people will be people that I vibe with, and I'm a very determined person. When I have, like, a problem in my life, I like to try and find a solution to it. I don't like to kind of sit around it or, like, let it fester or whatever. Yeah. Like, if, there, if I identify a problem, I, like, I, I attack it with precision. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, let's make as many friends as possible, and some of those people will probably be people I actually get along with. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I love that as, like, uh, I'm going to engineer myself into a better community. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> and I didn't realize that I was queer at this time.
0: Oh, okay, okay.
1: Like, I only had a coming out moment
0: in 2019. Okay. Yeah, so, like... But were a lot of the yeah. people you found... In that goal of making friends queer people?
1: Eventually, yes. Okay. So I tried out different stuff. Um, my first approach was, like, Eventbrite and meetup.com. Mm-hmm. And, like, I tried going to, like, all sorts of different, like, social events and such to try and find, like, things I was tangentially interested in and maybe mm-hmm. people overlap on it with my interests and such. I went to like, anime clubs. I try- I think I tried to go to some game nights, uh I went to other various meetup kind of things. And uh, one of the ones that kind of worked out a little better than the others was uh, the BDSM or kink community. Which which,
0: I doubt is on Eventbrite.
1: No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That one is on FetLife. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which you may or may not have heard of. It's kind of... People like to call it kinky Facebook. Uh, That's a decent... yeah. Yeah. FetLife can be a little scuzzy, but like it also like... There are community norms that kind of hold it in place to some extent, to some extent, a very loose extent. <laughs> so, like, there's the people in the like actual real life communities are all very like nice and respectful, and the people online can be whatever. Basically, like you might as well be on Grinder at that point. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. But Life tells you what events are going on in the area, and kind of you like ingratiate yourself to like whatever those events are, and then you mm-hmm. get
0: invitations to like the private parties. That makes sense. So and you then those get people vetted. have like. Safety concerns, I guess, that make them set up rules to be, like, cooler and nicer to each other. Exactly. Like,
1: uh, consent is a massive, 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 massive thing in the BDSM community. Like, they really deeply care about making sure that everyone's okay with everything that goes on. Mm -hmm. In part because BDSM is, like, a gray space, legally. Like, they they don't want it to ever, like, get ruled on in a court of law, pretty much. Right. So that means that, like in order to stop it from getting ruled on in a court of law, they implement all these different procedures to, like, make sure that no one ever, get, like, walks away upset from it, upset yeah. with it. And, like, that doesn't always work out. Like, there's obviously, like, things that go wrong within the BDSM community, and I certainly, like... Uh, I certainly saw some some weirdos, let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh not in the not in the good way. Right. Because I met a lot of really fun weirdos and that was cool. <laughs> yeah. But uh yeah. In any case, like the BDSM community, uh I got in through that and that's kind of how I ended up in the queer community.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay.
1: Yeah, so I uh, was going for, like, different sessions. There's, like, a bunch of different, like, official community communities of BDSM people around Mm -hmm. the valley, like uh, Apex, TNG, The Gap, etc., and I got in through Apex, and I basically- they have, like, a dungeon that they own, I would go there, I'd go there for, like, classes or whatever they set up, and basically meet people, or, like, social events, and, like, I'd socialize a bit. And then, like, one day, I was there for one thing, and it turns out there was, like, an LGBTQ thing running at the same time. And so, like, I oh, was waiting okay. for the other thing to start. Yeah. I walked into the LGBTQ thing, and uh, they had a drag queen there. Like, uh, they weren't in makeup or anything, but oh, yeah. uh, they had a drag queen there that was, like, talking about makeup.
0: Oh, nice. Okay. Like, as a, like here's how to do makeup kind of thing. And,
1: like, in private, I'd been, like, doing some, like, cross-dressing on my own, like, entirely Mm -hmm. in private and secret and everything, and I had some makeup, and I was terrible at it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I... And I was, like, okay, sure, I'll I'll just sit down here. And I just, like, took notes through the whole thing, and I was, like, the only person taking (laughs) notes. And so eventually, like, afterwards, I'm, like... Hey, I'm like, Hey, I'd like, I'd like to have someone to talk to about this stuff. I've yeah. some like feelings about things I'm not totally sure on, and I could use some advice and, uh, they invited me over to their place and they gave me like a full makeup tutorial and they showed me like all the techniques that I'm still using to this day. Nice. Cause like I'm very deeply invested in makeup and I now actually went, there's like a uh, anime conventions around the Valley and yeah. I go to them and I run panels on how to do makeup. Nice. Uh, I call them, like, uh, how to cross-play, which is, like, cross-dress and cosplay oh, together. Oh, yeah, portmanteau. Yeah, it's a portmanteau. And, like, uh, so I run that as a panel, and it's honestly mostly a makeup panel, though I do include stuff about, like, okay, here's how to shape your figure, here's how to get, like, fake boobs, here's, right. like, how to how to use spirit gum on your face to, like, make a fake, like, uh, beard or whatever if you're, oh, yeah. like, uh, if you're uh, transmasculine or if you're cosplaying yeah. in a transmasculine way. Yeah. So I try to include, like, all those different angles to it instead of, like, just f- instead of just focusing on like the makeup part
0: right and this was something that came out of that connection at that of yeah that really it kind did. of formative point I it guess. did
1: and that was a big deal for me yeah. and uh i end up doing like a lot of stuff on my own and improving a lot on my own through like my own processes I ended up like through trial and error trying out all sorts of different types of makeup and eventually figuring out what works for me and i uh Eventually, and that's part of what helped fuel like the cosplay thing later on. Yeah. I did end up trying out like a couple cosplays at the Apex Dungeon before I ended up doing them at anime conventions oh, and other nice, places. Yeah. And uh, even before the Terry thing, I th- no was it before? No, it was after. After I did like a Zero Suit Samus. Uh, oh, yeah. at like a different anime convention and like she has the same hair as like the terry bogart gender bent version yeah <laughs> so, and like, this is yeah.
0: another thing where the character is like kind of very meaningfully yeah red or maybe even canonically a trans woman
1: debatably uh yeah
0: i actually can say a
1: lot on that particular matter like one of the one of the character designers, one of like the early like people who worked on the project, uh, in like some sketch of the character, Samus Aaron, mm-hmm. uh, wrote on there that she is a new half, which is a slur in Japanese, like a oh, okay. Japanese like loan word slur for trans women that are pre op or oh, non op. Okay. Yeah. Like as in like they haven't had bottom surgery pretty much. Right. And it's kind of, it'd be the equivalent of like in English the equivalent of that would be like she male. Okay, yeah. Yeah, to yeah. give you like some bridging context there. Yeah. And uh I mean it's kind of apocryphal that this is the case. It's right. but like I mean they have a very tall, broad-shouldered woman, so I mean, right and in the context of the game, I think yeah.
0: it's it's not even a character that you initially know the gender of. Yeah. Like so.
1: in it it was like kept a secret until the very end of the game that this yeah. character was a woman. Yeah. And so many people interpreted her as a man in her original appearance and become kind of a tradition ever since, like, have her get out of the armor at the end of the game uh-huh. and stuff like that. But uh, it was, like, kept such a secret originally that, like, in some in some of the early, like, uh, Western comics of the character, like, they just, like, Nintendo to be like, oh, yeah, sure, draw, draw, like, some newspaper comic or whatever of Samus Aran. They'd, uh-huh. they'd assume that she was a man.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So you were experimenting with these different costumes connected to the anime yeah. and the video games, and also meeting more and more queer people, right? Yes, I After eventually that first class.
1: Yeah, I eventually like got over to uh, TNG, which is one of the other local groups, and mm-hmm. it's uh, age capped, so like the people there are a younger crowd typically, mm-hmm. and a much more queer and poly crowd in particular. Okay, so like almost everyone at TNG is like either bi or like polyam and or polyamorous. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot more common over there. Uh, so I've, I met some people early on at TNG who eventually, like, uh, transitioned since then. And, I mean, I'm one of them. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. I met an ex-partner. I met, like, a couple ex-partners there. And uh, they're not, I'm not with them anymore. But, like, that helped get me into, like, a bunch of, like, trans friend groups and yeah. helped me kind of explore what I was going for with all of this.
0: Yeah. I feel like, you know, moving from those periods of, like, figuring out things for yourself to finding a friend group where you can really understand like, Oh, there's a bunch of people with these experiences and I can fit in in my own way. Yeah. It's, it's a really huge change from that, that inner journey to the community journey. Definitely. Yes. So then going into the pandemic, this is a moment where I lost everything. (laughs) You've lost all this work you've done. You're already at this point of saying, I have to do this. (laughs) Yeah. And now it's like... Why am I doing this? (laughs) I have to claw my way back to even being able to be in public.
1: Yeah. I mean, part of it was, like, my my ex-partner was, like, the person who saw the girl in me before I saw it in myself. And so, like, I had to believe in myself when no one believed in me.
0: Yeah. And that's really tough sometimes. Yeah, especially, I mean, moving from the very beginning of the pandemic when we didn't even know what was going to oh, yeah. Yeah, be just, our future. Really. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess, you know, spinning up the trans together, you had this idea maybe six months before you got it started. So that's a couple of years later. Yeah, least, that right? is a couple of years later. We yeah. started,
1: we started trans together at the close to the end of 2022 in, okay. uh, like end of November, early October. Okay. So like right about that time we started it up and, uh, as said, it wasn't originally intended to be, like, uh, to be... A, we didn't intend to start a coffee social. We just kind of ended up attracting so many people that we had
0: to... We had to run, spin it off into our own event. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And this is something that... I mean, did you just feel like in 2022 when you started thinking about that kind of thing that the pandemic has lifted enough that it was safe? Or were you already able to go back to some in-person community things before that? Yeah
1: okay so before uh, before i start all this i had been a regular attendee of az trans spectrum okay yeah so az trans spectrum is one of the few trans community events that exists in the valley Mm -hmm. uh i think that like one in ten does something maybe southwest center does something but uh the only one that i knew of was uh az trans spectrum
0: yeah
1: and so like uh what I felt with that group is that that's a bit more support oriented it's kind of like uh it's kind of a an, an, a place for everyone to like take their turn talking and like you kind of say what's going on with you recently yeah. it's less of necessarily like a place to socialize it feels a lot more like group therapy to
0: be honest when the social coffee hour got started with with ian at the southwest center years ago yeah it was this real kind of defining moment early on where it was like people are coming and they're having the group therapy conversations and they're talking about their hormone regimens and they're talking about getting surgeons letters and we had to really assert like this isn't that space those spaces exist and we want something that's like a social space that people want to keep coming back to when they've been transitioning for four years or five years or ten years which is really hard to get in these spaces that feel like sport groups. Yeah. Like,
1: I mean, having the the more normal social connections, uh, it's just not that kind of group. You just kind of don't make... You get, like, a space to, like, vent your frustrations with stuff or get advice on stuff or figure out how to get stuff done for your transition, but you don't necessarily, like... uh, make friends in the same way. You aren't allowed to have, like, organic conversations with people. You kind of have to have it through this format. And I I very much appreciate uh, Trans Spectrum for being what it is. Yeah. Like, we need a group like that. Right. We absolutely and it's rare. It's like basically that. the only one. Yeah, it's the only one that we have in, uh, well, at least in the Valley. I don't know about Tucson or anything. The Tucson has another big community, too. Okay, but good. in the Valley, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've heard that Tucson has a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. I do some outreach online, and... uh support groups for trans people are not very common at all. Like mm-hmm. they, they usually only exist in much larger, like much larger cities, which this is a large city. It's one of the top five in the United States. Yeah. Uh, Like you might find that like uh, in New York city or something, but like uh, in doing outreach to various people online, many of those people are like in rural or suburban areas that don't have any sort of like support group of any right. kind. So these yeah. people are, Uh, and many of these people, uh, many of which are, are like under the age of 18, don't have
0: access to cars or like other various factors, don't live in a walkable area. They're kind of just isolated at home. Is this kind of like a national thing or like in Arizona that you're.
1: It's an international. Okay. It is a national thing Mm -hmm. because like my outreach online extends internationally, but a lot of them are based in the United States, like in Anglophone like countries. Yeah. And uh, for people that live in, like, I don't know, uh, the UK, there's a lot of stuff you can look up. Like, the UK is, like, incredible, like, trans advocacy and trans, like, groups that meet together and such. Yeah. But, like, for someone in, like, the Netherlands, what do you do? For someone oh, in, yeah. like, uh, if you're in Norway, you have to go to Oslo to get any sort of, like, gender or whatever, like, to get, to go through
0: the process. They so only having... have one clinic in the whole country. In the whole country, wow. Yeah. So having those conversations with people who are living in different legal realities, different healthcare realities, different yeah. social realities, comparing that to Arizona, I mean it honestly seems like potentially even having one big support group like that is actually oh, yeah. really meaningful. Yes, it's okay. incredibly meaningful. Yeah. Like
1: I I honestly was kind of shocked to find out that this kind of thing isn't more common cuz like uh in various forms of, like, transmedia that I've consumed, like, the support group is kind of, like, an assumed, like, default that, ha- that pops up a fair amount. At least in stuff from, like, yeah. uh, from five or even ten years ago, the support group is something that pops up, like, as a default all the time. Yeah. Instead of being something that is extremely rare and extremely, like, I guess, coveted to some degree. Yeah.
0: That's a perspective I didn't have. Yeah. That it was um, really that special it is really special. It's nice that we have people there that can help yeah. connect people to like practitioners that
1: can help mm-hmm. connect people to like name change services. I yeah. can help give people advice in their daily life. Yeah. It's very helpful.
0: But then bridging it into the kind of space that you're participating in now, yes. which is a which is a social thing and, and yes. doesn't have that same aspect. Um, one thing that has happened a little bit more recently though is that you are bringing in some resource people into those yes, spaces. absolutely. So how are you we kind of have to wrap up, but I, I think that's kind of a cool place to wrap up, which is how are you how are you synthesizing those two things and and maintaining both?
1: I mean, I don't think that the synthesis is very difficult. I mean, you mentioned that Ian had to kind of force the old coffee social to be a social space. This one, we would have to work hard to make it anything but a social space, to be honest. Like, we've had a very easy time keeping it a social space. We're we're kind of just, like, bringing people in. And it's kind of an optional basis of, like, people can participate or not on whatever basis they choose to. But fundamentally, like, everyone's just there to chat, to be honest. And, like, we're not, like, we're not trying to, like turn our organization into like a more into like an advocacy thing yeah we're just we're just hanging out yeah and And when when
0: when i was there and you had a resource group they were like in the corner they weren't giving a presentation they were there for people to come up and talk to the same way they would talk to anyone else or play a game of uno or whatever Uh so i i think that's really tremendous i really hope to see more of this happening in other places too Do you have any hopes along those lines now that you've had to build up a community for yourself twice in a row in Arizona? What do you see as the potential moving forward?
1: I think that getting people together in the same place is really helpful in a way that like, so the thing which I heard from like people when I was in the kink community is like some of those people were talking about making more like community spaces for queer people because, like, what we have right now is a bunch of bars, is some, like, festivals and parades, and we don't have, like, real social spaces for queer people. We don't have third places for them necessarily. Yeah. And, like, uh, our, our queer community is really fragmented compared to other places is what this person said. Yeah. And I feel that because, like, I'm on the dating apps. I see there's, like, a billion and a half queer people on there. I see, right. I
0: see all of them. There's a and ton I'm, of us in Arizona, but yeah. we're not all linked up.
1: Yeah, we're all, like, fragmented out everywhere. And, like, I made a bunch of friends that way. I made a massive number of friends that way be- even before going into this. Yeah. And then, like, I went into this and, like, started inviting my friends in, and yeah. that's how it, it uh, snowballed so quickly. Because yeah. those people invite other people who invite other people and so on and so forth.
0: Yeah.
1: But, like, I know that we have a lot of queer people in the Valley. We have, like, statistically, like, above the, like, national average. That's for, right, yeah. For trans yeah. people in particular. Like, uh... Even population wise, you just get a ton of people because there are a ton of people. Right. So like, these things, these things kind of come together. But if we don't have a place to hang out, if we don't have a place to organize, then like that all goes to nothing. Yeah. And I felt even before like starting this that like I wanted to start a coffee group because uh I uh, in particular coffee group because like it could be anyone of any age, which ultimately we've had to pull back on because we don't want to like get targeted. Yeah. So we don't have any we don't have any myers in the group, and we're not accepting any myers in the group mm-hmm. and like uh we i it's not like an adult bar, so like people on people over eighteen can get in, but not people right and uh, i mean it's not yeah. really
0: an adult event it's just yeah, it's about not the kind of safety risks of being threatened by groups, yes yeah,
1: and like so like we it's not even even ignoring like the minor thing is like. Oh, wait, anyone between 18 and 21 can get in without needing, like, an over-21 ID or whatever, which is the case for a lot of other, like, kind of queer meetups or queer spaces. A lot of them are bars.
0: Yeah. And for a lot of sober people, which... Is a lot of queer people. Yeah. It's not always the best environment.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I found Brick Road like through someone uh, at Trans Spectrum. They recommended it to me and we yes. drove out there. And then I ended up moving to like three minutes away from it. I'm oh, literally awesome. down the street from it.
0: <laughs> it's pretty convenient. Yeah, that's great.
1: And uh, I was like, yeah, this is a great place for it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I agree. I really agree. I talked with Gabe and Jesse on the podcast and seeing how they built that up and now seeing what you're doing to build community up there. Oh, yeah. We're That's actually worried. Amazing.
1: We're actually worried we might, like, be attracting too many people, and we might mm, need to find yeah. a new space soon, because, like, we sometimes get 20 or 30 people in the same night. That's and amazing. it overwhelms the bar. Right and like we can either clog up everything or we could uh it could be like a fire marshal problem maybe right yeah <laughs> so like we're looking into new places eventually uh we don't know how urgent or not urgent that is and we really want to keep it free for everyone we want it yeah. in a convenient location we want it to be free we don't want to like we don't want to have any any like overbearing restrictions on this because yeah. we really want it to be accessible to everyone because like having community
0: matters yeah And accessibility matters. Absolutely. Yeah. Everyone deserves to have a community. Yes. Amazing. Okay, well, thanks so much for talking with me. This was was really fun. Yeah, it's Uh, been great. Don't get to talk about Samus very often. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thanks to Celia for being my guest on this week's episode of the Arizona Equals Conversation. If you're queer and you want to talk to me about your story and your communities, send us an email. You can email us at hello at equalityarizona.org, or you can sign up to be a guest on an episode of the podcast by going to equalityarizona.org slash stories. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon.